Howdy folks, the show is the Newsprint Commando. I'm your host, Ed Moore. If you want to get in touch, you can blue sky me at Teal Productions. On Twitter, I'm at Teal Productions and or Newspeak Commando. And on Facebook, Teal Productions. Teal is T-E-A-L wherever you find it. The email address is imindyman at gmail.com and the website comicbooknoise.com slash TNC Tango November Charlie, in case I'm not enunciating well enough. Welcome to the first Pacific Comics Tuesday episode of uh, this year's Newsprint Commando. I will be continuing what I have started last season. Today I'll be looking at all the books Pacific Comics put out on sale September of 1982, and that is one book, Captain Victory and the Galactic Rangers, issue number seven. Now at the top of the book, actually it says something as large as a galaxy opens like a giant cosmic eye and produces the terrors known as the Wonder Warriors. On the cover, we have an image of Captain Victory. As he's looking down kind of omnisciently, we see his shoulders and his hand almost like he's reaching out toward a, a void in space that has opened up. And from within that void are coming four creatures that we haven't really seen before. All of them look heavily armored. All of them are introduced in the story, but here there's nothing to tell us anything about this other than Captain Victory seems to be very interested in what's going on. Now this is brought to us by Jack Kirby scripting and penciling, Mike Thibodeau inking, Janice Cohen coloring, and Pele Jensen lettering. Uh, There's also a five-page short story in here by the same creatives. Inside front cover is an advert for Silver Star, which is coming, it says. That's also another Pacific Comics Jack Kirby creation. The first story page, narrator tells us, What is the Earth but another planet among billions of others in the vast cosmos? What is the Earth but another witness to the strange but effective ways of Captain Victory and his Galactic Rangers? We have three crew members here that are uh, kind of stunned to see him. There's some monologuing, dialoguing here back and forth between the four of them about the fact that this is a clone of the original Captain Victory. We saw that he succumbed to damage that he suffered in one of the battles. Uh, everything that made him Captain Victory, though, was shunted into another body, a cloned body, I guess, is what we're led to believe. I, I think that's even what they actually said here. And I don't know, this, I will say, for the first uh, probably half of this issue, the dialogue is, in my uh, very simple mind, difficult. And if this was Kirby in 1982, um, I don't know, maybe Jack should just right now stick to the art because his dialoguing is starting to suffer. Hasn't been this bad, I haven't thought, on previous issues, so I don't know if he had help or or what it is. But in, in this issue, he, uh, he, he does some things. Uh, he tries to be circumspect, which doesn't work out too well. And he tries to introduce some humor, which that really doesn't work out very well either in my mind. Uh, but we're being introduced to a presence in Quadrant X that is responsible for something. Um, turns out that we're told that those in command of the Galactic Rangers have told Captain Victory to go there, 
quadrant X and investigate. But then later on in the story, we're shown that at that point, the leaders of the Galactic Rangers are telling Captain Victory to go investigate at Quadrant X. So, it, it, you know, he Captain Victory said they had already been given the mission. And then later on in the story, they are given the mission. So, I, yeah, it, it gets a little goofy. But in being introduced to Quadrant X, we're also introduced to these characters that we see on the front. And the first of them is named Fenarkin the Fearless. He's a big dude. He's carrying a mace and wearing some outrageous blue armor. Uh, the mace, the mace we're going to see later on in the story is called the Nova Stick. Mm. Uh, next up, we see Bloody Marion, M-A-R-R-I-E-N. Uh, she, it, uh, uh, she, completely armored in a reddish armor, head to toe, long green hair she has. Next up is a, um, I don't know, I believe it's supposed to be an encephalo, which is the same species as egghead, but they keep saying that it hasn't been born yet. And it's a, a short, squat, um, overweight belly big-headed creature that also is in full armor. And when we see it later on in the book, it really doesn't, he or she, it, do, it doesn't do anything. And then the final creature is Ursan the Unclean. And he has armor except for his face. His face is uncovered because they want you to see his um, unfortunate visage uh, when, whenever he's around. So after these introductions... After these introductions, we have uh, some back and forth from Captain Victory, Clavis, and their egghead, which he has a name, but it doesn't come up very often. They just refer to him mostly as egghead. And here the humor uh, is attempted and it just doesn't, it doesn't work out. It's perceived by G Captain Victory that egghead is complaining and then, uh, Clavis decides to play on that and pretend that he is complaining as well to show Egghead what it's like. I, I don't know what the point is, but it, it doesn't work. It, it seems very uh, sophomoric and childish in both Clavis's corner and in Captain Victory's corner for him to be, um, you know, big in charge it just i don't know the the this section the humor is just it's bad so clavis and captain victory finally send egghead on to accomplish his duties meanwhile on the outer edges of the cosmos itself where life and order become speculation and superstitious fear we have almost like a, a pirate ship who's come upon this quadrant x and they're they're, they're detecting that there is something that they can um, go out and, and retrieve and, and pirate. But turns out that in the midst of their investigation, they encounter these humanoid creatures that we saw in the cover and that we also were introduced. Uh, also, I, I neglected to say one per page. Uh, Kirby devoted an entire page to the drawing and the coloring of these different creatures as they were being talked about around the edges maybe or around the lower portion of the 
page, you might see, you know, headshots, talking heads uh, alluding to the information being given. But the main main, uh, body of the page itself was the character that they were speaking of. So now we we see them attacking this pirate ship. Uh, We find out that the three of them can speak, the two men and the woman, but the unborn eggheady kind of guy whatever he's supposed to be he he never speaks um all three of the humanoids that we do interact with are incredibly strong and incredibly vicious as they attack the pirates and they just do different things two of them Finarkin and Marion uh defeat the pirates that they face through martial abilities they're very strong they're armored they both have weapons, so that's that's what they do. Now, this Ursan, the unclean, he grabs one of the pirates and has this nice little little uh, six-panel soliloquy here and ends up melting first the armor and then the man inside the armor. So I guess that's, you know, that's representative of what he is. He doesn't have to fight. Just if he puts his hands on you, you melt, which is neat and gross and whatever but at a distance i'm not sure how that's going to be very effective but eh, it's not my character so uh we see that they are after ultimately the star drive in the pirate ship because the unborn encephalo using some sort of encephalo brain energy managed to manages to grab the star drive and and pull it out of the ship tearing the ship apart and then finally Finarkin, using his Nova stick, strikes the ship and it explodes like a, a Nova would, which is then noticed by Captain Victory on the on his ship, which at this point he has named it, but I I don't seem to recall the name here. But they pick up the supernova, even though it's hundreds of thousands of light years away. So theoretically, it should take uh, about that long for the light to get to us. But they notice it as soon as it happens which just seems to speed up the fact that they have to leave the Earth, uh, get ready, go to Quadrant X, and get ready to investigate there. Well, as they are about to leave the Earth, the men in charge, Terran, uh, down on the planet Terra, (laughs) Terran on Terra, yeah, uh, is reporting back and everything, and he says... they're being overheard. Captain Victory and Terran's conversation is being overheard by one of the military men there. Captain Victory's command, regroup your forces and get them shipside. And then the soldier says, uh, can't be done, sir. I've got a presidential directive to uh, invite detain. Is what you really mean, General, says Terran. You men are brave, a rare breed in battle, sir. We'll be back in 200 years to see if your skill is still thriving. And the military man says, uh, we're curious about your kind too, sir. That's why if you attempt to leave, we'll blow your ship to pieces. <laughs> so, um, and then the narration box here says, what the hell? How can you blame us for trying to learn all we can? Then, how can one blame the Galactics for attending to other pressing duties? However, if diplomacy can't solve this, there's an option that will shrink your Levi's. Zap out. Next. Then after that, we follow up with a five-page short here, as I indicated, uh, same creatives. There's a sun named Antares, which is so large that it's said one can place 90 versions of our sun on the surface of this giant star. Yet, 
life could exist in proximity to this overwhelming light and heat. It was ever proven by a young rec ranger recruit, Martius Clavius. Taped in the Scorpius or tapped, tapped in the Scorpius constellation upon his request for ranger enlistment. So this is a story about the, this is the origin basically of Martius Clavius. He is at uh, Ranger Academy, I guess, uh, wanting to be tested to become a, a part of the Galactic Rangers. And his test is a martial test. And he wants to go up against a Xeranite, which is a race that has never been beaten one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, and, of course, what, what he is here to show, Clavius, is that he, because of where he is from, is, is part of a two-way um, commune. Um, he, he's connected to a creature that he calls his shadow brother. And his shadow brother is uh, bigger and stronger and tougher and just more uh, martial than what Clavius is. And he can call on him during battle, and so that's what is going to make him valuable to the Galactic Rangers, is his shadow brother. So, in the midst of, of talking about what he's going to do, the exchange occurs. It's, it's kind of like, and I know I, I make a lot of references on this show that has nothing to do with Marvel Comics, to Marvel Comics. And eh, in a way, I apologize for that. But in a way, it's, it's mostly what I know as far as my long-term comic book knowledge. But there's a character called Captain Marvel. The male original better Captain Marvel, not this female thing that they're making movies of and whatnot. But he was in a, in a situation where he um, could exchange himself by clanging his um, bracelets, his bands on his wrist, his gauntlets, whichever you want to call them. He could clang them together and he would trade places with a human who he had become bonded to and the, and the one would go to the negative zone and the other would be here in the prime material world. And Rick Jones was his name. He was the guy that is responsible for Bruce Banner becoming the Hulk. He hung with Captain America for a while. He hung out with the Avengers for a while. Um, somehow he got connected to Captain Marvel. I don't remember if I've ever read exactly what happened, but I just know that it had been occurring for a while. And so that's kind of the, the switching that occurs here between Clavius and his shadow brother. A big metallic, actually, they, they're called, uh, th this other race is called a metallic, M-E-T-A-L-L-A-C, metallic. And we have a, an image of it here in one panel on a nine-panel grid. Uh, we see, and then he changes back, and Clavius is in, in his place here at the Ranger Academy. Um, he did good. He beat down this other alien race. Yeah, I don't know. It was kind of kind of weird. Um, the Galactic Ranger will learn more about Martius Clavius, his world, his people, his family, and the Roman Syndrome. So I guess next issue is going to be another short about Clavius. Inside back covers an ad for Twisted Tales, just telling us to watch for it. And the back cover has a Kirby of heroes. Is all it. Captain Victory, uh, Clavius and Terran, actually. A little dude down here at the bottom, and then a robot and another uh, weird face here in the corner. Just kind of, I don't know, probably a poster drawing or just a drawing to take up space somewhere that they reused here on the back cover and uh, put it in full color. 
So that is Captain Victory in the Galactic Ranger 7. It, um, I don't know, it's it, that particular story, I think, was a little bit lesser quality than what the first six issues have been. So, you know, I don't, I don't know if Kirby kind of ran out of ideas, but the book still had to go on or, you know, it's hard to know without having been there what exactly was going on. That one didn't hit the sweet spot like some of the others had. Kirby's art is Kirby's art. It's still really, really good. The coloring is good. The inking is good. The um, dialogue itself is not, I don't know, it just wasn't my bag. Like I said, it, it didn't hit as funny. Um, although I, I have kind of a theory that uh, I've noticed over the years that if someone is purposefully trying to be clever, uh, it's not going to work. They're not going to be clever, probably not even going to be funny. To me, the most humorous things are just those almost seemingly unplanned one-off quips in response to something that someone else does or says. Uh, more a an observational or a situational humor. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld, uh, Robin Williams. Back in the day, I used to love Eddie Murphy, but uh, that, that's neither here nor there. Um, but yeah, if people are trying to be funny, a lot of times it, it doesn't work out. And I think this was a case where... Kirby was trying to insert something humorous and it, it just it wasn't working for me. So that's that's just me. Alrighty, that is our first Pacific Comics Tuesday of 2024. 24, right? Yeah, yeah, 2024. I was thinking. Yeah, anyways. So uh, last episode, you heard my first thoughts on Elf Lord with issue one. And then next issue, you will hear my thoughts on the first issue of X-Mutants, issue number one there, too. So those are the two titles that I'm going to be looking at throughout the year, along with the Pacific Comics coverage. So next time out is, uh, as I indicated, X-Mutants number one from Eternity Comics. Uh, that'll be on sale in July of 1986. So we've jumped from 82 to 86 here in one episode. Talk to you guys then. Ciao.